Jam Journals is a proud partner of Yesterday's Concert Podcast and member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Chris strokes a big bird yellow painted the canvas. This would be my Mona Lisa. My hand moved in a gentle caress of the art. Returning to my palette, I slathered the brush from my next smattering of sauce across the canvas. We're making happy trees today. Delicately, I handled the greasy stack, spinning the wooden stake, evenly coating it with mustard. I dipped the brush back in the oversized mustard jar, leaving it for the next artist to come along. My masterpiece was complete. I wandered back to my seat with my buddy Stu. I couldn't wait to devour the deep-fried wiener on a stick. Stu, however, was returning empty-handed. In retrospect, I see the only reason he went with me was some kind of parental fear. Probably that I'd somehow managed to find myself in the nearby rushing waters of the mighty Mississippi River. But despite his fears, my level of caution was astronomical. The margin of error was huge. One lapse in attention, and I'd have to wear the stains of my shame for the rest of the evening. The restraint necessary not to inhale my snack before returning to my seat was worse than a chained dog in heat. My munchies refused to be curbed, and the second I sat down, I crammed half the stick in my mouth. With each bite, my smile grew. Send my regards to the chef. He's outdone himself again. This is a five-star dinner. Like the witch under your bed or the monster in your closet, an imaginary villain began to rear its ugly head. My eyesight became blurry, and each time I moved my head, it felt like I was looking at a new frame on a roll of film. Automatic breathing was shut off, and I was in manual overdrive. It was on me to keep the machine running. The paranoia was setting in again. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Dude, uh, I think think someone dosed the mustard, I said, grabbing Stu's shoulder. What are you talking about, man? You know from that big jar of mustard that I put on my corn dog at the concession stand? I think someone dosed it. Lance, calm down. No one's going to waste their doses on your mustard. But what if they did? I'm not ready. I'm not ready, man. Houston, prepare for liftoff. Stu laughed and told me to relax. You hear that, guys? Stu wants me to relax. While I'm spiraling in paranoia on an unwilling acid trip, Stu wants me to relax. He calmly told me if anyone had unknowingly dosed me, he'd be right there to take the trip with me. What do you think they'll open with tonight? Stu tried to take my mind off of things. I want a funky chainsaw city. It was then that I felt a tap on my knee. The gentleman in the row in front of us turned around, peeled something from a sheet of paper, and motioned me forward. Cautiously, I leaned in to meet his request. Straight face and full of intentionality, mashed the peeled object against my chest. I looked at Stu. What about now? Did he dose me with acid? Dumbfounded, we looked down at my shirt to see an orange grocery store sticker, like something in a Piggly Wiggly meat section. Outlined in black letters, it read, Special. The guy didn't say a word to us the rest of the night, but he changed everything. The mustard settled and the LSD never took. I don't know what magical power that sticker held or what kind of shaman that guy was, but everything melted away. The paranoia was gone. Like the new sheriff in town, I puffed out my chest and wore it proudly. I had a new confidence. I was special. Then again, I was also very, very stoned. Welcome concert goers, music fanatics, and bow-legged women. My name is Lance Ingram, and in this episode of Jam Journals, we open the pages to October 15, 2008. Grab your earplugs as we go to the Mud Island Amphitheater in Memphis, Tennessee for Widespread Panic.
Jim James sat on the center console singing to our cabin. Yes, that Jim James, lead singer of My Morning Jacket. His feet dangled between Stu and me in the back seat. I couldn't bring myself to make eye contact, so I stuffed my head between my knees and squeezed my eyes shut. Things were much better this way. He didn't take offense, though. Jim kept on singing, drowning out the hum of the road. Our vehicle took a sharp turn and began an upward ascent. I could feel the clacking as our car was pulled upward at a near 90-degree angle. The ascent kept going and going until I wondered if we were in the clouds yet. Surely, this was the big one. And then we plummeted. For every inch we climbed, we were now nosediving at an accelerated velocity. Then we hit a curve, our momentum quickened, and our bodies slammed against the doors. My hair pulled to the ground as we went fully upside down. The safety belt dug into my shoulder and we lingered at the top. And then we dropped again. Jim still sat on the center console singing his heart out. I buried my face deeper into my knees, too afraid to look around. When I couldn't hold my breath any longer, the cabin began our descent. More loops, more sharp curves, our speed intensified. I didn't sign up for this ride. Shouldn't we be there by now? We came to a rolling stop. Was it time to get off already? When I peered around the inside of the truck, Jim was no longer there, but my morning jacket played on the car stereo. Trees, lakes, and other vehicles were by. The hum of the road picked up again. You good, man? Stu asked. I looked across the back seat at him and started to explain my situation but thought better of it. I smiled and nodded before resting my head back on my knees. This was a lot better than explaining I was so high that when I closed my eyes, my head felt like I was on a roller coaster and Jim James incarnate was serenading us. Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. I hate to further a jam band stereotype, but the truth was, I was baked like overcooked lasagna. Whether I didn't have class that afternoon or I had voluntarily elected not to have it, who knows. Regardless, I spent most of my afternoon getting higher than a kite in preparation for widespread panic that night. Barely two months prior, I transferred as a sophomore from a small community college to the University of Mississippi. That first year at community college was spent immersing myself in all the cliched aspects of jam band culture. That first time you hear Allman Brothers Mountain Jam, it does something to you. It's like a crash course on becoming a dirty hippie. I already had the long hair, but after that, my curly locks grew past my shoulders. My wardrobe of black rock and roll band shirts became tie-dye dead shirts. A hemp necklace with a tiny glass mushroom hung around my neck, and there was never a day I'd be caught without my sandals. I was constantly being stopped by strangers to ask if they could bum a light. One guy even started with, I hate to stereotype you, man, but... Then there was the Mary Jane, the ganja, the sticky icky, the devil's lettuce. It became a pre- and post-class ritual. Headed to biology? Let's toke up. Class is done for the day. Bong grips for everyone. We even started getting to class hours early. It wasn't to study or FaceTime with professors, but to get stupid high in the parking lot and listen to music in our car. But beyond looking the part, I became infatuated with jam bands, also known as hippie music. Just a year before, I'd skip almost any track over five minutes. But suddenly, anything that stretched out 20 or 30 minutes was mandatory listening. Songs like Stairway to Heaven, Freebird, and essentially everything by Rush now felt like child's play. Bands like The Grateful Dead, Fish, and Widespread Panic were just the start. Humphreys McGee, Moe, The Disco Biscuits, Sound Tribe Sector 9, and others became stereo staples. Improvisation shaped all aspects of my taste. It was like a caveman discovering fire for the first time. Jam band music was music in the purest form. This was the art form at its bare essentials, allowing the notes to take a lead not stopping within standard song structures. The classic rock that I loved was now corporate slog pandering to radio listeners. Any song that didn't have an extended solo 
lacked soul. Any concert that wasn't different night tonight was a mockery of the art. And then I got a ticket to see widespread painting. I felt like I was going to my first real concert. I had drank the Kool-Aid. The roller coaster came to a grinding halt and Jim stopped singing. That'll be $10, you can park over there. My body was locked in the fetal position, but our roller coaster had finally reached its destination. Tiny pieces of fuzz stuck to my lips when I peeled my face away from the back of the driver's seat. I pulled myself together and looked out my window. This crazy utopia I'd been dreaming about was right in front of me. It was a sea of tie-dye, a hippie wonderland. I opened the truck door and my body slid from the vehicle like I was emerging from a water slide. My sandals dug into the steadiness of the earth and my body teetered like a toddler learning to walk. Each step outside the vehicle felt monumental. A waft of pot smoke drifted by on the breeze. The crack of ice-cold heady toppers rang from all around us. Panic blared from car stereos. Hey, hey, you guys need anything? Moving like a ghost through the parked cars, an older man, probably in his mid-sixties, materialized behind us. In my naivety, I didn't understand his question. Instead, I was thinking this was the warmest welcome I'd ever received at a concert. Barely out of the car and we were already getting curbside service. Before I could ask for a bottle of water from my cottonmouth, I realized, this isn't the valet. This was the candy man. A few people jumped at the offer. He lifted his way too new tie-dye shirt and pulled several baggies from his fanny pack. They took the baggies, he took the cash, then he was gone. Poof, vanished into thin air, just like he arrived. And that, kids, is the story of the candy man. The panic lot scene really knew how to welcome its fans. Carside service, just like the drive-in restaurants. You don't even have to look for your drugs. You can order from the menu at your window. Mud Island Amphitheater may be America's most underrated venue. The 5,000-seat shed is literally located in the Mississippi River. Let me elaborate. I mean literally. Residing on a tiny island just off the shore of downtown Memphis, Mud Island Amphitheater sits among the waves of the mighty Mississippi. Unless you're a swimmer with a death wish, it's only accessible by a small walking bridge or tram. Our seats were center stage on the very last row in the venue. And as crummy as that sounds, it's actually the best seat in the house. The golden hour light cast hues of deep oranges and purples above Memphis's tallest buildings and shimmered against the rolling river. During the car ride from Oxford to Memphis, my mind grappled with losing control to paranoia. Like barbarians pillaging my reality, the billowing brain fog refused to let me believe I wasn't actually on a roller coaster. Or that Jim James was sitting on the center console singing the entirety of the It Still Moves album for us. I'm not sure I'd ever been this high before. It wasn't hallucinations of little green men, but there was no certainty of time or space. The venue's isolation and potentially deadly surroundings should have escalated my paranoia. But with the tides of crashing muddy water, I was finally starting to relax into this monumental high. That is, until the corn dog. While I spiraled about the contents of my mustard, I worried what my new friends thought of my antics. Stu and I met a few weeks earlier and were quickly becoming best buds. His roommate Mosin was with us, as was their friend Matt, who was callously nicknamed Sweats due to his propensity for excessive perspiration. We were quickly becoming the little tribe that I've been searching for since coming to Ole Miss. However, this was our first show together and it was quickly apparent that I was still a very green concert partier, as evidenced by what had been affectionately deemed Mustard Gate. However, where I expected mockery, judgment, and humiliation, these guys got in the foxhole with me. Sure, they laughed at me, but they also gave me the courage to laugh at myself. Stu gave my special badge new empowerment to help me deal with my creeping paranoia. He also made the argument that what dealer would drop enough acid in a jar of mustard to get some unsuspecting kids high, financially speaking. That didn't make any sense.
evening, Memphis. Ladies and gentlemen and little children, all ages. Widespread Panic lead singer John Bell welcomed the crowd. As the lazy Southern Rock intro to the takeout started, we shot out of the hard plastic seats. Our sandals skirted across the ground while we contorted into ridiculous hippie movements we called dancing. Now that the music started, my fears of dose mustard and roller coaster rides evaporated. Like a child in a toy store, I took it all in with overwhelming awe. The lights, the sounds, the smells. Stu put his arm around my shoulder and gave me a squeeze. We were living the life. Welcome to hippie paradise. Where the drugs couldn't take me, the music surely would. Guitarist Jimmy Herring's lead soared right out of the gate with its sing-songy phrasing. The instrumental track needed no words when the guitar gently wept like that. The rhythm section was steady and swung with the groove. This wasn't Leonard Skinner rock, but every note dripped like southern charm molasses. I once overheard someone say that widespread panic is background music for the Civil War. It wasn't until that moment that I understood what they meant. Herring's fingers moved at supersonic speed and the band stumbled into the bombs and butterflies track Tallboy. The harmonies were shaky and uneven, borderline barroom drunk sing-along, but the spirit of the jam was alive. The lazy southern rock mojo exploded from Herring's heavy metal tone in absolute masterclass shred. If this intro is any indication, we were in for a treat tonight. Now I should preface before I get too far into the show that I may have looked the part but I was hardly a studied widespread Panic fan. I really enjoyed Panic's music, but I was far from being a spreadhead. Their mix of southern rock and traditional jam elements were right up my alley. As a Mississippi boy, I could leave the southern rock behind, but the southern rock would never leave me. I booted a few live tapes off the internet, but a handful of shows hardly scratches the surface for any jam band. This wasn't like Aerosmith or the Rolling Stones where you can pop in the greatest hits and hear 95% of the live show. Aside from no set list ever looking the same, no songs were untouchable. Every night's game for a bust out, but it doesn't stop there. Covers are also a big part of the jam community. For example, Panic has an entire live album of covers ranging from Black Sabbath and The Doors to Nelly and James Brown. So not only are you at the mercy of an entire discography, but the entirety of recorded music. Becoming a spreadhead was an overwhelming experience for someone walking into their first show, but that was the fun of being a jam band fan. There was zero predictability for the live experience. As a casual fan, I hoped for popular bangers like Big Wooly Mammoth, Imitation Leather Shoes, and their rendition of the Jerry Joseph cover, Climb to Safety. But I was open to following the groove. If you're not a fan of jam music, you probably have at some point referred to it as meandering noodling, or something less savory like my late uncle referred to it as musical diarrhea. For a jam band, the standard song structure is just a vehicle for the jam. A four-minute studio track can easily stretch out twice its normal duration, sometimes even three or four times that. As my wife constantly asks, why can't they just play the song? You know what? That's a fair and valid question. So I'll try to explain. Yes, there's musical virtuosity in a case to be made for the fusion of instrumental music, but that's not really the answer. I could try to say something more simplistic, like talk about the lines, musical exploration, that freedom found in the realms outside of conformity, fewer restrictions to that special place in your soul, blah, 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 blah. It can be all those things, but only when you get it. It is very hard to describe. There's an unquantifiable aspect of music that speaks to people differently. For some, it's bangers and bops. For others, it's super long, freeform music. It really all depends on how it hits you. That said, Jamman music can really just be a lot of guitar solos, glorified drum circles, and gratuitous and masturbatory excuses for music. But not tonight.
Tonight, it was widespread panic, and they were journeying through the freedom of musical exploration. One thing Panic excels at is the micro jam. Too long to be considered an extended solo, and too short to be mountain jam. Even with the longest song that night being just over 12 minutes long, their jams were still meaty soul explorations of freeform art. The stage lights were in a constant flux of changing colors. Yellow, purple, green. They swirled in new formations and patterns. From our cheap seats, we could see them reflect off the waters of the Mississippi and dance across the audience below us. The music wasn't funky in the earth, wind, and fire or parliament funkadelic sense, but the groove was infectious. It swang like a riverboat bar band. The predominantly white male audience danced to the groove like, well, like middle-aged white men do. They moved to rhythms that sent teenage daughters into fits yeah, of embarrassment. Stop, you're embarrassing me. Despite my unfamiliarity, the songs took me to deep state boogie. I may not have known what song was blasting from the stage, but my feet moved like I was seeing my favorite band. Jimmy Herring's guitar solos bent my fragile mind. For a genre that's so largely consumed by chill music, Herring's solos were breakneck shred. My pot-soaked brain was in sensory overload when the band cut away and Jimmy did his thing. Fortunately for me, it wasn't something one could handle on a stronger substance like mustard acid. On the opposing end of the stage, bassist Dave Schools pelted the audience with bass bombs. The notes he generated by his strikes were so deep and fat they rattled your sternum to the point you wondered if you'd have to go back to manual breathing too. But what would a jam band show be without a stupid drum solo? The band stepped away from a cover of Cream Puff War by the jam forefathers the Grateful Dead, leaving only the percussion section. They beat like thunder and instances of tribal rituals flashed through my head. Many took to their seat, while others took to the stairs for another beer. How's that mustard acid treating you? Stu asked during the drum solo. I pushed its elbow out of my ribs and had nothing to say but laugh at my foggy brain. By this point I'd sober up enough to realize how high I'd been. An 11 minute drum solo will do that to you. But where the clouds began to settle, the music picked up the remaining pieces and carried me through the evening. The second set included some of my favorite Panic songs like Thought Sausage, Love Tractor, and that big woolly mammoth I wanted. Plus we got killer covers like Bobby Rush's Bow-Legged Woman, The Talking Heads, City of Dreams, and the barn burner set closer Warren's Vaughn's Lawyer's Guns and Money. The road whizzed by outside of the truck window. Jim James no longer sang to us and the roller coaster was closed for the day. Sober and exhausted, we were now making our voyage back to Oxford. You want to stop for some food? Sweats asked. As long as the mustard is from a reputable source, Mosin responded. No worries, guys. I got a mustard guy. I'll tell him to meet us in the lots. Stu chimed in. Ha. Ha. I'm never going to live this down. You guys just wish you could have been tripping on some mustard acid like me when they were tearing up one by one. I tried to play along and defend myself. In the passing lights of the road, the tiny sticker on my shirt illuminated. I'd almost forgotten it was still on there. Sort of like leaving your name tag on hours after you leave a convention. I don't know what magical powers that sticker held, but everything got better after it. The lights, the music, the breeze off the Mississippi. I wore that sticker proudly until I crawled back into my dorm room bed. I carefully pulled it off and laid it on my desk. There was never a consideration to throw it away. You don't just toss a precious gem. They say marijuana is a gateway drug, but what they don't warn you about is widespread panic shows are a gateway drug themselves too. A gateway to more jam band shows. This was the tipping point to more jam concerts and a refusal to use condiments in public. My hair grew, as did the tie-dye in my closet. 
My little tribe of hippies was at every possible jam show within a 200-mile radius for the next year. We were inseparable and never missed a Sunday show. Or any show, for that matter. Because it didn't matter the band, location, or price. We found a way. And it all started that night. Because just like my sticker read, that night was special. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Jam Journals and reliving one of my favorite concert memories. Have you seen the artist before? How was your experience? Similar? Better? Worse? Let us know on social media, at Yesterday's Concert. We're on all the channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. Give us a shout or shoot us an email at info at yesterdaysconcert.com. Until next time, give us a review on Apple Podcasts and check us out at yesterdaysconcert.com. And don't forget, take care of your shoes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.